Welcome, everyone. Thanks so very much for joining me. It's Grant Asplund here, and we're on another episode of Talking Cloud. You know, this is where we talk about cloud, cloud computing, and all issues, concerns, all the things that you really should be thinking about, the challenges, the uh, tools, the new and different ways you can get work done. There's lots to talk about in the cloud. And we're going to get experts on the program. You know, I'm not a know-it-all, but we're going to get know-it-alls, people that really understand the space, the practical applications, the gotchas, all the things that uh, we hope you'll enjoy hearing. Uh, we hope that it's time well spent for you. And if so, we're going to have you back here again and again and again. And with that, I'm going to jump right in. I'm really excited. You know, this is uh, someone who I guess I can call a friend uh, although we met professionally originally when I was working with another company uh, called Blue Coat Systems. Some of you may have uh, heard of it. Um, I actually made a call with uh, Pat, the sales rep in the New England area, and it's where I met Sanjay. Uh, this guy is really an impressive guy, a long-storied career in security, uh, including the likes of TJX, uh, TJ Maxx, and I'll let him tell you uh, about that. He left it all and uh, started his own cloud security company. I thought he'd be a great guest. And so please welcome Sanjay Patel. Sanjay, thanks so much for joining. Hey, Grant, thank you very much for having me uh, on your podcast. It's nice to catch up again. It's been a while since we last talked. So, yeah. uh, well, it's Thank great. You. Yeah, my my pleasure. I'm thrilled to have you. So if you can do me a favor, just to the listeners understand maybe a bit of a, your background. I mean, I uh, they all can get on LinkedIn and see who you are. But uh, if you can just kind of give a quick summary uh, and then tell them a little bit about Smart Hive and what you're doing today. Sure, no problems. So I started security back in 1999 when it wasn't even called security. We were a bunch of network guys looking at Things happening on our, on our network and trying to fix it. I worked at a company called Breakaway. It was the world's largest ASP, which is what cloud is today. Before AWS, there was something called an ASP, application service providers. And you know they would take in infrastructure for large organizations, mainly startups, and, and maintain it and host it for them. And we would see attacks on our environment because people were trying to get into our customers. And that's how I got into security. But that was 1999. And since then, I went a few places. Uh, after that, uh, it was a very interesting space when I, st I stuck with it. <clears throat> In the early 2000s, I ended up at a company called CyberArk, which at that point was a really small uh, company doing file sharing, evolving into privilege, um, privilege management. Today, it's a leader in privilege management. Right. I was part of the... Uh, Sorry, I was part of the founding team here in uh, in America, uh, the part of the founding management team here in America. I should clarify that. Uh, after that, I did a bunch of cloud consulting. Cloud is becoming very hard. Security in cloud is becoming a very big concern. 
and I got connected to TJX. They had a little bit of an incident, <laughs> you could say. Yeah, that's uh, almost, um, I mean, it's, it's pretty infamous, really, right? I mean, that was such a big deal when it occurred, and it really was kind of, it's one of the first real public compromises where we, we got the details of how it was a contractor or someone else, right, that got in and caused the havoc. So I'll share what the information that is public. Uh, and so what is publicly known is that uh, there was a known issue with the wireless encryption uh, that were deployed in the stores. The CIO was told to do an update, and he said, we don't have the money for it. There's a great 60-minute uh, uh, session that you can actually find online about it that discusses it. Um, this hacker went to a store in Florida got into the into the network and then came up the network and apparently set in the network for a while and stole in tens of millions of credit card numbers. That was literally the largest breach and that kicked off a lot of the security stuff then. Uh, there was a list that TJX tried very hard to get off of. You know, it's it's great to be number one, but not all the time. Yeah, right. And they were and they were number one on that for a while. Uh, but thank you, Target, thank you, Starwood, thank you everybody else that's come after. That have, that have kicked them off that list. Uh, but TGX is interesting. I, I ended up there post-breach. They had a new CIO, a new CTO. They wanted somebody to come build a security risk and security architecture team, which I did, and I spent eight years there, uh, about eight, eight and a half years there. It was an interesting time. Uh, company was growing. They were going to e-com. So we were going, uh, you know, uh, and then we were going in the cloud and we were extending into multiple countries. So the governance and moving of data and, and accessing and, and managing data across different environments uh, that were not seen before in a pre-breached, in a post-breached company was very interesting. Yeah, and, uh, and that was early, too, in terms of... Uh, just some of those issues, those governance issues with data, uh, where it resides, and so on. I mean, this is going back a few years. You guys were early. Yeah, I mean, you know, this, those, that's the when you work at a Fortune 100 company, right? You tend to uh, you tend to do things that others are not doing, or not many others are doing at that point. So you know, if we, we were not the first, but we were not the thousandth company to do it at that scale. So it, it is you have to make your own road. Sometimes you have right. to. Uh, rely on a lot of lawyers and consultants to figure out uh, figure out how to do this, and then obviously cloud changed everything when cloud showed up. Yeah. So okay. So TJX, uh, we met. Uh, you know, uh, kind of just collect and uh, have stayed in touch ever since. You leave and you start your own company, a cloud-based security company. Talk about that. Yeah, so I left TJX and I, you know, we, we spent a lot of money at TJX to do the right thing. And, you know, they haven't been breached since, so they're obviously doing the right thing. And But what was amazing to me is no matter how much money we spent, we only knew what was happening to us. We were part of ISACs and ISOs and, 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 and subscribed to many threat feeds. But it was we still were looking at it from our lens. It's like looking out through only one window and trying to figure out what's happening to the world. And... So when the Target breach happened, we wanted to understand what was happening at Target. But we couldn't, we called up Target, they wouldn't talk to us, they were in the middle of a breach. We were part of the same ISAC, Information Security Analysis Center. We paid a lot of money to be part of the ISAC. And yet we couldn't talk to each other when it was critical to figure out what we needed to know from each other. So that got me to thinking is why can't organizations share data? 
the bad guys share data all the time. You can go on the cloud with a credit card. You can go on the internet with a credit card and buy a, a command and control server, buy malware, and then also learn which companies can you can uh, expose the malware on. So they are sharing data all the time. And the one thing they count on is that good guys will not share data. Company A will get attacked. They will stop the attack and then move on. And then the bad guys will go to company B and company C. They're unlimited companies they can attack. So it is valuable for them to make a zero day that is really expensive to make, but they know they will get their money back. So I wanted I, to. I, I, I have the, to just jump in. I yeah. think of I think of thunder and lightning, and the and and I think of the gap. Right when you hear thunder, you know somewhere there's lightning. Right, and it's kind of interesting because I, as you talk about uh, company A, then company B, then company C, it's like you know, just if you hear the thunder and then there's a gap before you know where the lightning is. Did I get struck or did somebody else get struck? But people don't really share the the thunder. They don't say, "Hey, it's over here. It's coming from this way, and this is what it looks like." Is is that the kind of? Uh, I mean, poor analogy maybe, but is is is? Are you trying to make it so that everyone hears the thunder and knows where the lightning is? Actually, even a little better than that. So, if you think of thunder, lightning as as a uh, as a attack and an IOC, right? And so, a the lightning is the IOC. You know that most companies eventually get, and then they put it in the system. You know, it's uh, intent of compromise, uh, indicator of compromise. Sorry, and you know, it tells you what is the IP address to block. And you know, the vendors will typically give you these, or the threat intel people will typically give you this. Uh, usually, by the time it's too late. So imagine if you'd have to be outside sometimes to hear the thunder and then hear the lightning, right? But what if you could figure out days before the thunder even came that there was going to be thunder, you won't put your clothes out to dry, right? Because they would get wet if, in case you decided to leave your house in the middle of the day and then thunder came. So we we are a weather forecasting system. Got we it. can tell you the weather before it gets to you. Uh, we think... By the time you hear the lightning, it's too late. You're probably going to get struck by it. That's how you're going to figure out there's lightning. Or some a tree's going to fall in our backyard, and it's just going to be too late. We we want to tell you before the thunder even shows up you know, that this, there's going to be bad weather. This is something, you know, this is a, a mantra. This is a belief, a fundamental pillar in checkpoint strategy, uh, you know, that it's not about... Uh, detection. It's about prevention. It's about stopping it from happening altogether and not finding it once it's already hit you, uh, claiming, hey, I found it fast. The problem is it's too late. You've already been bit by the snake. Exactly. That, that, you know, we need to, and the only way to get ahead of that is somebody somewhere is figuring it out, right? And how do you get to get that information from somebody somewhere. And how do you make sure it's relevant to you when you get it? You're not getting a, a, a fire hose of data. You're only getting the relevant piece of information that matters to you. If you're a pharmaceutical company, do you really care about a point of system attack? I mean, what relevant is it to you? In, in Flip, if you're a manufacturing company, do you really care about a drug a, a attack that's very specifically targeted to drug research? So the information is relevant. And, and actionable to you, and when you have it, that I, it, it has to be information that you can do something about. So most threat intel feeds today will tell you there's a hurricane coming. You know what we want to do is tell you there's a hurricane coming. The water will be so high, it'll it'll be coming in this direction, and these are the precautions you need to take. 
to prevent yourself from getting flooded. Got it. Okay, so when I think about, you know, really most uh, of the players, if they're a player, a security platform player, they've they've all architected these massive bit buckets in the cloud, right? They all boast seeing, you know, billions and billions of incidents of compromise. Only one company, Checkpoint, I might add, has the highest catch rate, but uh, that's not what this is about. But my question is, how does what your company, SmartHive, is doing differ? Because, for example, you know, uh, over 100,000 customers, we aggregate their intelligence in the cloud and then share that amongst our own customers. So where does the SmartHive differ and where do you add even greater value? So let's take uh, let's just take the Target example for uh, you know I don't know if Target was a Checkpoint customer or not. One, one side note: one of the most interesting things is when a company gets breached, not a single vendor steps up and says that was my customer, right? But that's just a side note. Um, so Im- so imagine Target got breached and they were a Checkpoint customer in this scenario. There is no way for Checkpoint to know what the black POS rule was, which is a rule they released later on. It's a very specific attack. But an analyst at, at Target had figured out, or eventually they had figured out what the attack was, and they put up the defense to stop the attack. We can get that information and share that information before the vendors get it. There's a gap between a time an analyst figures something out and protects their company, and the time a vendor gets it, applies it, puts the control out and releases it back to the uh, to the customer base to to get get in front of it. So that's one place we can help. The other is if you want if you have an attack and you want to know who else is seeing this right now. So if you are sitting in Bank of America for example, these are not our customers, I'm just giving an example. If you're sitting in Bank of America for an example and say I I'm I'm seeing this specific attack. What are the financial institutes seeing this which other financial organizations or other financial organizations seeing it right now? We can come into the hive and we can tell you how many other financial organizations are seeing it anonymously, obviously. And, you know, in when did it start? What countries are seeing it in real time? Essentially like being in every company's data center and looking through their data anonymously and making a decision on is this real? Is it only you? What actions you need to take? Uh, although the com- these com- vendors are building large data sets, they're just building larger silos. Right. If you if you're not a checkpoint customer and a Palo Alto customer, it's gonna hurt you. If you're a Palo Alto customer and not a checkpoint customer, it's, it's gonna hurt you as well. Everybody has bits and bits of information. How do you make sure that somebody has all the information? And that's what we are trying to build: the world's largest security clearinghouse. So clearly, this would not be even possible without the cloud. Would Would you agree with that? Yeah, I mean, as a startup, you would the amount of money you would need to just build the basic infrastructure and foundation uh, would be something you wouldn't even be able to get off the ground. Yeah. Uh, what we were able to do uh, at a low cost uh, to prove out our point and to aggregate data and to scale, it is virtually impossible to do without uh, you know lots and lots of money. So, are you currently using one of the main public cloud? providers for your infrastructure we're actually using multiple cloud providers can you, we are 100 percent cloud we are 100 percent cloud-based and we're using multiple cloud providers can you talk at all about that or is it uh, can can you i mean can you talk specifically about the companies you're using and 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 the value you're seeing in one over the other 
Yeah, so we use DigitalOcean for our pure, uh, some of our dev work and pure compute power. They, they, they're cheap, you know, they, they do the work they do to bring up, bring up uh, resources and use them. Uh, we, we use Amazon for most of our number crunching and data aggregation and scaling up. Imagine, you know, if you're going from listing at 50,000 events a second and your company grows and you're now doing four or 500,000 events a second, you need to scale really, really fast. And you can't do that on a digital ocean because you pretty much have to build a lot of the bits and pieces, uh, the plumbing uh, yourself. While Amazon will provide you the plumbing. They'll charge you for it, but they provide you the plumbing. Yep. And we're looking at Google Cloud for the some of the AI capabilities. So we get all this uh, data. I mean, we're talking a firehose of data from across multiple customers. We need to analyze it, enrich it, uh, make a decision, and then share it back out to relevant people in less than 90 seconds. So if company A does something, we can tell company B in less than 90 seconds. For that, you need a massive computing power that needs to scale up and down based on the data feeds coming in. Right, right. That And that's, you know, we, I've talked about uh, this before on this program. I really believe, you know, there are three core uh, combining technologies, if you will, that are, are making just unbelievable impact in our lives. And it's, it's this ubiquitous connectivity, right? Always connected all the time, anywhere with anything. Uh, the unbelievable bandwidth we now are getting and the compute, just the raw power. You know, we I, I talk a lot uh, to audiences and I hold up my iPhone. I mean, the name is wrong uh, because I say, hey, how many of you have this computer? You know, and you can kind of see the responses of like, what are you talking about? And, and I explain, I was fortunate to receive the first purchase order for a Macintosh computer from Alaska Airlines and Warehouser, first that they ever issued. And the Macintoshes they purchased had 512K of RAM, no hard drive, no preloaded applications, nothing. And so I pull out my phone, you know, it's got 64 gigabytes and a ton of applications. So I think sometimes the words we use matter. Well, I, I believe all the time uh, they matter, but we forget the power we carry around in our hands that's always connected. And your evidence with what you're able to do, you're leveraging that uh, big data in the cloud and the analytics, right? Seeing such an enormous amount of data and then being able to respond so quickly. Absolutely. I mean, you know, by the way, I'm assuming you played Paperboy the same way I did on those apples. You had to put in the five and a quarter inch disc to get it going uh, before you could do anything with it. And nowadays you just download an app and you're running and it's it's, it's probably faster than stuff that used to go to the moon. Is that uh, what I, you I, called that Paperboy? I thought that, yeah, that the flip flop back and forth with the little discettes back and forth trying to run no, no, something. There was a game called Paperboy, which you put it in, and then this little guy in an ASCII character would go and throw papers at the houses, and you have to get it to the front door. It's a really old game. I mean, uh, just aging ourselves now. Yeah, that's uh, right. That's right. Uh, that's right. So, uh, but I think you and I imagine when what happens when five G shows up. Exactly. You know, right? I mean, you you now they're saying surgeons can do operations in real time across continents. Well, hackers can take over surgeons' operations across real time as well, right? So, or as 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 uh, uh, virtual reality kicks in, all these things are going to be a lot more data 
but a lot more, in, essentially, there will be IOTs. Everybody's going to have 50 IOTs in the house all of a sudden yep. without calling it an IOT. Yep. So all these things are going to be hacked. You know, uh, they're going to be owned. So they're going to be protected because and the cloud is enabling all this because the ability to scale up and down in the cloud is what allows people uh, to do this. Obviously, the technology like 5G and them are also enablers. But without cloud, 90% of the new startups probably wouldn't exist today. Totally agree. Uh, Dome 9, before we were acquired by Checkpoint, I went down to our headquarters down in California, and uh, it was funny because Zohar, uh, the co-founder, he says, here, come look at our data center. And he takes me and he points at a computer in a corner. There it is. That's everything. And it's because we didn't really, we didn't have one, right? Everything we used was uh, web-based, cloud-based, everything. Uh, and so uh, there was nothing to maintain. It's really a, a different world. And I think it's why we have so many uh, add water and shake startups that are occurring, right? I mean, last I heard, there's some 3,500 different security companies uh, in the space today and more coming all the time. Yeah. And by the way, you know, and that's one of the reasons I started Smart Hive is that if you're a corporation, you need to keep up with what's happening out there today. You need to keep up with the latest technologies and, you know, you can't always keep upgrading. And so the way our product works is if you're the older version of an endpoint, let's say we can tell you from the latest AI guys. And then when you evolve some other stack, we can learn from that and tell somebody who hasn't evolved. Uh, And security, you know, security needs to keep evolving because the bad guys are not stopping. You know, and they're using the cloud efficiently. Bad guys run the organizations probably more efficiently than the good guys do sometimes. Uh, and, you know, they are taking advantage of the cloud, I mean, uh, probably more efficiently and, and have been doing it much longer than we have been doing it. Yep. So we need to play catch up and then get ahead of them. Yeah. And I, I think, uh, you know, your point, it's challenging in a world of capitalism uh, where, uh you know, to sharing the information. I think it's uh, very novel that you've figured out a way to do that because that's got to be part of the challenge, right? I mean, um, Checkpoint shares data with Checkpoint's customers, but we're not necessarily running out and updating uh, any other vendors' devices. So you're kind of filling that void on saying, Hey, it's attacking this vulnerability that's in the Palo Alto VPN or what have you. Uh, look out for it. Uh, is is that the kind of is that the kind of work you guys are doing? Exactly. So I mean, think we, there are two things we want to provide our customers: visibility and situational awareness, right? So another example that we actually just starting to work with an extremely large company on, and something we'll be able to talk about more openly in the next few weeks is is vendor management. Right. So vendor management, if you look at it started out with, you know, uh, auditors going on site and, you know, auditing or assessors going on site for large companies assessing a small subset of their vendors. Then organizations came out and said, you know, put all the forms online and we can show you what, what your, your vendors can answer the forms online. So that, that allowed organizations to get to a larger set of vendors. And then other companies came out and said, hey, you want to do business with somebody? I can tell you what the environment looks like. I can give you their score. And now you know what's happening to them before you even start doing business with them. And they rely on public data to give you a picture. Uh, But what if you really wanted to know what was happening inside organizations? What if you're a large financial institution and you wanted to manage your top 100 vendor security? We can do that. We can tell you 
in real time which vendor did not patch yesterday, which vendor did not rotate their password, what type of actors are going after your vendors, what campaigns your vendors are seeing. And if you want your vendors to take an action, we can tell we tell we can help you communicate that to your vendors and also probably apply that control at your vendor. So you can say, hey, apply this patch. And if the vendors don't apply the patch, I can tell you. That's real-time visibility into your supply chain ecosystem without owning any of that infrastructure. And I think that's what companies want to get. is understand. They don't want to find out later in the game, oh, shoot, something happened to a vendor or, you know, or a point-in-time assessment that a vendor may fill out a form and not, maybe not be truthful or maybe not know all the answers. We want our decision and our information to be data-driven. Right. So in a situational awareness, what's happening somewhere right now and visibility deep into uh, your ecosystems. Exactly. Exactly. You know, you mentioned something. I think, um, you know, the whole idea of uh, commoditization doesn't happen in security, right? The example I use is in 1998, I could buy a, a well, they claimed it was full motion color video on the web from Access Communications. It was this really cool uh, uh, video camera that had a Apache server built in, had to have power, had to have Ethernet plugged in, but it could capture like 16 frames a second, but it was $3,000. Now, today, I've got vastly more power and capability in the camera, in my doorbell. So, you know, commoditization has brought that down to pennies. Whereas in the world of cybersecurity, it doesn't happen because we're up against this formidable foe that constantly is taking advantage of the advancements just like we are, as you mentioned, right? A surgeon can perform real-time operation across the country or anywhere in the world. That means a bad guy can take over a surgeon real-time, right? So it, it's really interesting how we are in a space that I think has longevity, at least from a career perspective. Oh, we're definitely going to have jobs for a long, long time. And I think our grandchildren are going to have jobs for a long, long time. And by the way, one of the people you can thank that are politicians uh, and, and the government and regulations in general. Uh, I, I, I heard that uh, some of the medical machines, you know, they, they cannot be upgraded and patched to a certain level because they were approved in a certain state. So if you make any changes to that state, then the, the approval doesn't apply anymore. And if you think about it, you know, that is a bad guy's haven, right? He knows that this machine state is never going to change. That's very and analogous so, yeah. to FIPS, isn't it? I mean, the government and their whole FIPS certification, you've got a product that gets certified. But if you enhance that product, you got to go back and get certified over again. Exactly. Very and, you know, similar. and, you know. These this silly regulations where the politicians uh, who are writing these regulations are not up to date with, you know, what's really happening. You know, there's buzzwords of, you know, cybersecurity in the news. Look at what happened to Texas last week. Yep. Right. And it becomes a big problem. And then it goes away. You know, why did 20 something small cities get breached in Texas is the question to ask. Right. Because they just can't afford the security a large company can afford. The, the, the breach that happened, we don't have or at least publicly, there's not a lot of details on it right now. Uh, we happen to have some of it because we do a lot of business with towns and cities. But the kind of attack that happened, 
would not happen to a large city or a large organization because they would be able to block it with their most basic uh, enterprise solutions that as not being transferred down because of cost and profit and all in all these other reasons yep. to smaller organizations just knowledge too i mean that's a huge gap people you know it's so superficial today you know you and i are an anomaly if we understand what an ip address is and a subnet and what a domain is and what it means to have a c name and uh, uh to resolve and you know all these things that happen under the covers you know people really don't understand this uh, it's it's kind of a mystery to them. Yeah, and that is the problem, right? I mean, it's like cars, right? In the 50s and 40s and 60s, people worked on their cars a lot, and they really understood components of cars and how things worked. And you know, and today, it, when a car has become disposable, a right? light comes Which, on. Yeah. yeah, exactly. A light comes on, and you take it in, and then some person fixes it. It's uh, right. you know where there's and, mystery, you know, there's margin. I've said that for years. Where there's mystery, there's margin. Light goes on mystery have no idea what it is margin for whoever plugs in their little computer and reads what that light means oops you've got uh, your gas cap is uh, loose and this is where i think the vendors have to be put on blame a little as well software vendors in our industry specifically now you know we should make a list every time a company is breached what vendors were there? Because what will the vendor say? It wasn't configured correctly. Well, if you're making software that's so complex to deploy, maybe you should not be selling your software if it's, it's so complex or if you let bugs in it. There's a very famous uh, firewall company, not Checkpoint, who, who on a consistent basis is reporting uh, really critical bugs on their web interface, on a consistent basis. Mm. I mean, it, it is amazing. How can a multi-billion-dollar company who sells security have so many security issues? How are they? Doing, how are they doing code deployments, right? And nobody's holding them responsible. Right. Yeah, that's interesting. That's interesting. Look, this has been really terrific. I've taken up a ton of your time. I'd love to have you back in a future uh, program, Sanjay. I really, really appreciate you giving us some insights, having the conversation. It was really a lot of fun. Thank you very much. Thank you, Grant, and good luck with your podcast. Hey, thanks so much. Hey, ladies and gentlemen, thank you very much for joining again today. I hope you found this conversation interesting. You can look Sanjay Patel up on LinkedIn. Smart Hive is his new company. I wish him all the success in the world, and I look forward to having you back on another episode of Talking Cloud. Thanks very much, everyone.